We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome back to another episode of the A Black Hands podcast. So, so happy to be back with my three other brothers. Uh, just saying, hey, for Ray, Sharif, and Citizen Stewart. Uh, we just going to jump right into it. On this episode, we want to talk about what is emancipatory education exactly. We actually wanted to be a guiding light for the folks out here trying to educate the 8 million black kids that we got in this country. And uh, I think this is right up that hands alley. So we're going to start with our brother, Sharif. Sharif, what is emancipatory education for you? And like, just go ahead and give tips to the community and we'll just start the conversation from there. Yeah, I, I think I think one is a great topic. I think it's something that, you know, continues to um, necessitate conversation as well as as well as action. I, I think the education when I think about that, I think about like what's liberating about education, because, you know, people talk about oh, this education for liberation. And what does that actually mean in, in practice? I think one of the things that it means is that children and communities actually have freedom and choice about what they want to accomplish and be able to backwards map as far as what it's doing. There's also supposed to be a, a, give you the agency to change things. And when I think about like, you know, the education that a lot of our children get, can it, does it help them change things first, their own circumstances, but also the, the situation that they find themselves in. And I, I just don't know when I look at, uh, when I look at, at educational systems, you have one group of people who's always given an education where like almost they're going to be the boss and someone, their teacher, their principal, their school board, board members, whatever. They're saying like, we're educating these, this group of students because we know they're going to be in charge. And then another group of students are receiving education that, you know what, you're going to be in service to us. Right. And that's actual that's a mindset It's a how people approach uh, education. But I think one of the first things for emancipatory education is, is it liberating? Is it is a liberating experience for students, but also how are educators approaching it in a way that they're liberating it from whatever box container, musty, moldy container that it's it fits in? Okay, so we just heard from uh, Baba Sharif. Uh, Ray, uh, what are your thoughts on emancipatory education and also on what Reef just said. So firstly, I'm going to say the hottest MC goes last, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to go this time, but the <laughs> MC with the bars goes last, bro. All right. So that's why you want to say just, Go ahead. Since you, since, since you, since you, since you hosting today and you're, and you're a, a goddamn control freak, I'm going to go now. All right. So uh, it starts early. It starts Paulo, early in the show. Paulo Ferry talked about this in 1970. Uh, he said that. Uh, what did he say, Ray? What did he say? Emancipatory learning that learning, which includes students examining what brought them to the point of examining and questioning the positions, values, and or power of not only themselves, but also their groups or societies. So this speaks to exactly what Reef was talking about in terms of like the power dynamics of just education in general. Right. And so I want our people to be as liberated in terms of making choices uh, where we educate our kid, because a lot of times what you'll see is you'll see people from like 
you know, dominant class levels that are telling people from lower class levels, hey, this is where you should send your child because I said so. Like, what the hell does that even mean? Um, I'm going to send my child where I think is best for me to send my child. And I'm not trying to wait for you to, to shame me or to parent shame into making people feel like they should put their kids in these whack-ass schools. Okay. Well, mm. thank you, brother. And uh, just for the record, uh, I told everybody what the order was before you recorded, but it's okay. Chris, go <laughs> ahead, brother. What is uh, <laughs> What are your thoughts? I think this is an important question because we are always fighting in education uh, and having these petty debates about what it should be. The bottom line is the, the way that you can judge whether or not it's emancipatory or not is about how much power people have when you get on the other end of it. Yep. So how does it end up? Does does the individual end up with more power? Does that individual contri- contribute to a community that has more power? And as a group, is there racial uplift? So a black emancipatory education to me would mean that we are producing the people who are building the next society for us, building the next uh, leg of the journey for us. So you had people who were enslaved, and right after slavery, they had a serious jump in literacy, the, the fastest growth in literacy ever in American history, right after slavery. And then you had people, that, that gave you the modicum to start developing teachers and educators. Out of that group came teachers and educators, and then schools. And then out of that came communities, black communities that had schools and teachers, and then some curriculum. And then after that, they were empowering people to learn in school, in K-12, how to vote, how to participate in democracy, how to um, how to fight, how to be a, a, a more than just a citizen, but a citizen that was on the path to freedom. That's education to me. That that is a emancipatory education in total to me is when you end up advancing the cause that your ancestors fought for in this country. And um I think it would be easy for us to turn this question around also and say what it's not. Now I'm not going to do that right now, but I would, the quick answer is what we have right now is not. Uh, And just one last thing. I think people confuse decolonization with the goal. Decolonizing education is a process to get to the goal, but it's not the goal. There is something that happens on the other side, right? There's a world you end up in where you, don't need to decolonize anything anymore because you're free. That's what, uh, that's what it should be. Uh, I think that's a good answer. I think, um, I, I mean, I definitely appreciate that and, and, and keep what is not for later in the show. Cause we got a whole show of content that we need. So we might need you brother uh, to tell us what is not. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I th- but I think there's a few things. I think that, um, I mean, I I've done talks on this before around what the purpose of education is. I know James Baldwin said that the purpose of education is to create uh, in a person, the ability to look at the world for him or herself to make his or her own decisions. I know, John Dewey says something to the effect that the purpose of education is to uh, always been the same for everyone. In essence, the same. Give the young the things that they need in order to develop in an orally sequential uh, way into members of society. Look, I hear all that, man. I, I, I think for me at 17 years old, which I've kind of said is that the purpose of education is to make sure I don't end up in a in jail or on a corner and then I can make some real money someday. I mean, listen, I only paid attention in school because I made a, a, a decision in high school that school was going to be my hustle. So I think that we've talked about this a few times and Chris has, Chris has touched on this, Sharif and Ray, all of us have touched on this at some point is that I need 
the, the basis of emancipatory education is to understand the difference between schooling and education. Like mm-hmm. schooling is the, bi- the the building in which you go to, right? And sometimes education happens there and sometimes it doesn't. Education is what you just, is the, is the knowledge that you gain that you can actually explain to other people. And sometimes that's in schools, but a lot of times that's in your community. So for me, emancipatory education is making sure that black folks know how to leave school or home and know how to make money, know how to take care of themselves, know who they are and know how to create something. So they're not at the whim of white people or other folks that don't inherently love them. So, I mean, I think that that's, for me, that's how I look at that. So, I mean, you all can kind of jump in if we talk about emancipatory education. Can, can uh, I say, say my, something about that last piece? Can I say something about that last piece? Um, I just recently in a couple of days ago, I had a conversation with a young person that I, where I said what you just said, almost exactly to a T. And uh, she said to me, something along the orders, but those are your markers of success. Mm-hmm. Like having, like being able to have a job, have an income, uh, you know, and I said things like, you know, uh, be making forward progress, like buying a house and, you know, right. being able to have a mainstream kind of lifestyle. And uh, I got pushback on that from a, from a small group of people younger than me. And they were that's like, cool. well, you know, that's the capitalist dream. That's what's up. Can I ask you a question, right? Just, yeah. just for, clarif- for clarifying reasons. Yeah. For the yeah. Uh, do these people still live in a parent's house where their parents are paying bills? No. And, and okay. you know, so the interesting thing about it is they're living kind of like sub to, subterranean lifestyles and feel like that's a very valid decision, meaning mm-hmm. not to have a job or not to have a car ever, not to have a house. These things that I grew up thinking were markers mm-hmm. of moving your family forward, right? Like, like, so I think, you know, in some way we may have given birth. Some of us did actually do some of those things and then gave birth to kids that didn't know nothing about the struggle. And now they, they have some sort of other idea Mm -hmm. about like, you know, getting success, being successful might be getting tattoos and becoming an artist who doesn't make much money and, you know, never buy a house, never buy a car. I don't want to see that break, break out in our race. Because I think we need people who are homeowners, business owners, architects, doctors, engineers. Mm-hmm. If we're going to build the next society, I think we still have to have all those things. And then we'll still have some subterranean people, you know. We, we, we definitely still need artists, too, though. Right. Like, and so I think what they were trying to say is they don't want to get caught up in the, you know, in the system. So to speak. But I also just wonder, you know, a lot of times and I think we all kind of project on our children as far as like, hey, I want you to do better than me. So this is the path that I went through. So this is the path that you need to. But I, I think we we have to at the end of the day, education should provide students with choice. Mm-hmm. what option like mm-hmm. options mm-hmm. you know people talking mm-hmm. about this opportunity um gap and all these kind of things like at the end of the day if i have more opportunities and i choose not to you know purchase xyz or i choose to you know go do xyz like that's that should be fine but the the issue is most children despite all the, the rhetoric most children that we're talking about the ones that we serve and love they don't have those opportunities to make a choice to say, oh, I'm choosing to not do this. Right. Yeah. It's not a matter of like, yeah. hey, I want to take I don't want to go to college right now. It's a matter of like, you know what? You're not even eligible to go to college. Right. That's and right. so that's all right. these choices are made for them by other people. And that's why I just get 
wary and weary of people that have already, you know, they have a ton of options and then they look at the next generation and say, hey, well, you know what? Like you're just probably college isn't really for you or, mm. you know, you don't have to worry <laughs> about that. Right. Because there's a strand of that that we know it has a, a racist history. And it still, and many often has biases tied in deeper into it that people don't want to acknowledge. And one of the things that W.B. Du Bois said was that education is supposed to unlock human superpower. Mm -hmm. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to unlock your the highest potential. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the piece that if if it's not if, if if a child goes through, you know, all these years of education and they don't have more opportunities then that's a problem. If it's not more doors for them to choose, oh, yes, I want to do this. or no. Yeah, maybe they don't want to get a car. Maybe they live in New York and like, you know what? It's not feasible. That makes sense. They made a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. Nope. I mean, nope. Ray, you just heard what, what Sharif just said. What, what, what are your thoughts, man, around uh, emancipatory education based off what you've heard the, the, the crew say? I'm not basing anything off of what the crew says. Y'all got your own opinions. I got my own opinions. Oh my like, what the hell is wrong with you, bro? What's your opinion? <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? Just, so, just, just to be difficult, right? Yes, just yes, to be sir. difficult. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Uh, bro, I, I feel like we should be a nation of creating critical thinkers, right? We should be creating people that can think for themselves and don't need people to think for them. And I think that once we get to a point to where uh, we have a nation of critical thinkers, then, you know, and if they're making these decisions, that it's going to be informed decisions that they're making that can, like, better their lives and better their situations. Those are my thoughts. So, so you didn't just agree with what Chris just said? I mean, you just said exactly what Chris just said. Verbatim. I, <laughs> yo, I did. Yo, I did not hear. Chris. Uh, Were you listening when the brother said it? I, I, yo, I didn't hear him say one time. All right, all right. <laughs> it's all yeah, good, Ray. Yeah. Ray, Ray. We love you, bro. I mean, that you, I did you, not hear him say critical thinking perfectly. Right. He, he, just, he just said it with a thesaurus. He just used different right, words, but right. he said it's the same okay. thing. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You got a you got a thesaurus, brother. Because I pay attention as we record. So yeah. I, I think for me, I think. So, but I, but I hear you, Ray and Chris. Yeah, I agree with those things. I think that being able to make those decisions, and I think that there are some things that happened uh, before those young people came of age uh, that have put them in a better position, right? Like there are yes. generations before yes. us that had to make some deeper, darker decisions about like their livelihood. And so if they're able to live that subterranean life and be good with that and, and, and do that stuff, that's great because part of emancipatory is like you being able to make decisions for yourself. Hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that's dope. I think that also like I'll bring this into the fold, right? Like I grew up like I've been homeless before I lived in shelter. So for me, something that's really important to me is making sure I got a house or a roof over my head and being able to take care of myself. Like I got a real issue. I grew up with a lot of homies that depend on a mamas or girlfriends mm -hmm. to live with. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, and I ain't judging, you know what I'm saying? I just don't want that to be me. So that's one. I, I, I just think it's hard to lead a movement if you're in your mama's basement. I think that that's, that's <laughs> no. I just want to say I want to say in their defense because I feel like you, you. I feel like you taking a pop shot at young people. And I'm not. You don't do I'm that. Not, I know you I'm don't not. do that. I know you don't do that because you work with young people. But I'm just yeah. gonna say this about the crew that I'm talking about. Actually, I spent days with them, like like ten days. And uh, and they're dope people. They're doing really dope things, and they invigorated, reinvigorated my kind of outlook on life. So I want to say that it just challenged me what they Bro. said because. And what you just said, Charles, is probably what's driving my theory on this. Right. I lived in a car. 
Right. I lived in a Ford Fiesta. I story, yeah. I lived in a Ford Fiesta, and I don't know if anybody know what a Ford Fiesta looked like. In East Oakland at the time, East Oakland wasn't friendly, and I lived in. <laughs> I lived in a wait, Oakland, right? I lived in a, 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 a Corolla first, and and then I lived in a, a Fiesta. And I like to laugh about it because I tell people not only did I live in a Ford Fiesta, I had nerve to have roommates. So, <laughs> so, wait, so at one wait, point wait, wait, wait. I had three yeah. roommates in a Ford Fiesta in the summertime, and it smelled like eight shark feet <laughs> like in my car at all times it was it was crazy um but i remember thinking even then i never want this to be like right. first of all i didn't want it for myself but you know like when i became a dad those are the type of things you remember and you say to yourself i don't want my kid ever to do that right 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 and can uh, i but, just and, you know, unless they I want, want to be clear though I, I i and this isn't me taking a shot at those young people if like if they can do that and live that life i think that's great I think that, like I said, for me, is being able to make your own decisions and live the type of life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. I think that when we start talking about emancipatory, right, the one thing that I want the parents that's listening to this to understand is, like, I, one, we just got to know the difference between schooling and education. Sharif will probably break that down for you all a little later. Because you can master schooling. Like, if the goal is to get into college, right, like, mm-hmm. you can get good grades and get into college and not learn a damn thing, right? Because for me, college was... a, a, a a necessary obstacle that I had to conquer to live the type of life that I wanted to live. And it opened up doors for me. So I'm not very happy with the education I got in high school or in college or even my doctoral program, but the doors that has opened since then, right? Like have allowed me to earn and make a difference in my family and in my lineage. So for emancipatory for me may not be the same as it is for other Negroes in the world, right? For me though, to be able to provide for my family, to be able to provide for myself, to not be at the whim of my mom's couch or a woman that I don't <laughs> like that much or to woman, already, you or, know? Or, or a woman that I'm not in love with, like to depend on her for my living. What the hell is this? So this is you, if you were in love with her, it would be okay. Like I don't want to, I don't want to live off of a woman. Right. Okay. Like, what I'm All saying right. is like, you, you want to live off of a man. You should build. <laughs> wait a second. This show's taking a different story. Wait, we found out raising Republicans. And I know that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, I don't want to live off of anybody. What I'm saying right. is you want to meet a woman and marry her and be in love with her and build a family together. But what I'm saying, Yo, bro. I know friends. I know friends. I have uh-huh, them man. that no. are like dependent. Nah. Their livelihood is dependent on the woman that they're dating at the moment or they depend on that And I don't want to Wait. live like that. So for Hold me, up. I want to be able to provide for myself. That's emancipatory education for me and to know who I am in the process, to know where Charles, I come from. In that story. Are you done? I, and I and I'm gonna go longer than <laughs> so. I, I'm, but but I, I mean, but I made my point. But go go ahead, brother. So what I don't want this show to become, and fellas, y'all can agree to disagree or, or whatever, is Charles's pitch to get a woman because that's what this shit sounds like. Right <laughs> oh my gosh, it wasn't. Yo, it wasn't it's, at all. It's, 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 but it's, go ahead, it's, Ray. 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 All <laughs> Charles. All. Let, let, let me just jump in here. Let me just let me just interject because y'all about to go crazy and off the rails. Ray. All Charles is saying is he wants to be able to make enough money in life to not have internet like yours. Hey, thank you. Thank you. That's exactly. <laughs> that's all he's saying. That's all he's saying. And, and, he just wants a strong signal. He just wants sound, a strong signal. And Ray will sound like a robot before this episode is over. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Hey, so but I don't. I don't sound like. A, I don't sound like a robot right now. And you sound. He like, just did. He kind of just did it, right? Hey, right, right. And and here's how you sound. Listen, wait, listen, wait, wait, wait. 
Can I, can I say how you sound? Go ahead, Robot. I'm, I'm single again. <laughs> That's how you sound. No, it was it was a very specific example, Charles. It was a very it was a hyper specific no, no, example. No, no. I'm, what I'm saying is, I don't want to see. No, I don't want a man and a woman. First <laughs> yeah. off, we all know. Raise your hand on this podcast if you know brothers that are. Choosing females so they have a place to stay. Okay, raise your hands if you know sisters that are raising their hands that that are living with brothers to 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 make them make a living. Look, but you didn't do that example. You did the other one because I'm a man. (laughs) Because I because I I don't need to do that example. Look, that's their business. All I'm saying is the like that I don't want. This this feels like toxic masculinity. But Bob, this feels uh, like right now. Toxic, toxic trolls. That's what's up. Shout out, shout out to Dave Chappelle and his latest special because it's amazing. Uh, Baba Sharif, because you please. The hell First of all, y'all, y'all and, crazy. And, and give these folks knowledge that they need, brother. Tell, tell, uh, tell us how we supposed to do for self, brother. Come well, on, in that good Muslim home you in. Tell me how you, what you telling your sons and what they the club, do when they get out your house. Go ahead. The club basement. I mean, with your the sons depending on somebody's couch. Uh, Sharif, go ahead, sir. First of all, I, I want my children to always feel like my home is their home. You know, that's so right. that's that's, that's one. Right. Like I. You know, it's always been interesting to me. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes I was raised in a, you know, you know, I feel like I would know I was specifically raised in some <laughs> counterculture stuff. Um, but like just some of the things like, oh, you're 18 and get out kind of kind of thing mm-hmm. messages that, that I've heard. And, and, uh, I went through that. I went, I, went through that. I went through that. You know, like it just I, I wouldn't want that, for, you know, for my talking about like what aspirations we have for our children. Like I wouldn't want that. You know, I, I, I believe in. And, you know, just that community building and, and find I want them to be productive, but I also don't want them to have that kind of pressure to, you know, to strike out on their own and just go out and, you know, like just I, I just I just think you can you can get further as as a community. You know, I, one of the houses I bought, I bought with my sister. You know, we, we bought the house together. And then once we had um, enough equity, then I moved out and, and she stayed and, and stuff. And so, you know, growing up, my mom parents had a three-story house in, in Winfield. Third floor was off limits because it was always another family on the third floor, like always. I never remember not having um, another family, uh, you know, up there. But I think one of the things that when you talk about like this education piece that need, uh, Joanza Kunjufa once said, like, it is absolutely foolish for our children to be in a capitalist society and we not teach them about capitalism. Mm-hmm. You know, like what it means, what are the traps, what it can do, how it influences choices, like all of that. And, you know, so I think and Charles, you talk about this a lot, like education isn't it's not the same as schooling, but it also doesn't have to just be in schools. Absolutely. And so I would also just challenge our families like there's so many people that have uh, levels of expertise in our communities that, you know, we can learn from, um, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. One of my best teachers in high school was a substitute teacher. And Mr. Mosley was like, I mean, he would just like drop science that I still I still remember Mr. Mosley as a substitute teacher. I don't remember most of my high school teachers names. Me either. I can't remember almost any of my teachers. Yeah. And I I remember Mr. Mosley like like, you know, like any time I'm like, oh, yeah, Mr. Mosley was he was a substitute teacher. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we got him. That is amazing. Like because he was so dope. He was an educator. He was a full blown educator. And if he had you for an hour or, you know, what we ended up having them for like three months. It was, you know, some of the best education that, that uh, we received in the classrooms. But this is important around like as parents, what we want for our kids. I left home at like 16 
Right. Mm-hmm. And so from 16 on, I was on my own. And, and um, I would say about 20 at age 20, it really hit home to me what that meant. Like when you're getting turned down for apartments, when you don't have first and last deposit, when you have to beg for things, when you're sleeping on people's couches and then you become a dad, right? Like a year later <laughs> after all of that. And then you have to start thinking through how you're going to care for somebody else. Those are the things you tell yourself you don't want your kid ever going through. Now, all of y'all have met my oldest son, right? Um, he doesn't know anything so, about that type know, of life, right? He doesn't know anything about that type of life. And that was my, that, that was really like my plan all along mm-hmm. was in your 20s, you're not going to have to couch surf. You're not going to get turned down for apartments. You're not going to like be begging. Can I not have to pay first and last deposit? Can I just pay first and I'll, you know, I'll get somebody co-sign something for, you know, all that stuff. Right. Right. That's materialistic. I I agree. Um, but I don't know how to get around that. I don't know how to get a, uh, yeah, you tell me because I've been called it. When I say that people call me a materialist, but I want you security, man. Yeah. Like this is the thing. Ask them when they say that, ask them if they've ever been homeless. Right. You and I have both been homeless, like for real. Right. Right. Like it doesn't matter if it was a one, if it was a, a studio apartment or a three bedroom house. Right. Like it was yours and you could close the door and lock it and have some peace of mind. That's not materialistic. Like and I think that if somebody if you're talking to somebody who's never been homeless before, then I, I don't I'm not saying I'm dismissing how they're thinking. Right. But like, mm-hmm. you know, that that has a different that hits different. Right. And I don't know if Ray and Sharif have ever been like homeless, homeless before. So. Bro, so I, I've. I, I've been in situations in which I've had no running water, no electricity. So, you know, I, I've been in like no water, uh, mm-hmm. had to go next door in order right. to take a bath uh, to my relatives and whatnot. So like I've been in some real like shithole circumstances and whatnot. So I can relate but to were you, that. Were you in the shelter or car or park bench though? No, no, no. Not, okay. I just was asking. Still, still shotgun house. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. With, with, with nothing in, inside of it and whatnot. But to speak to, um, to speak to, uh, I think it was um, Reef's point about just like education in general, like, or no, maybe it was Chris, but I don't want my kids coming out of school with with, with student loans. So that's one of the things that I'm committed to. Like I'm committed to the fact that I'm going to pay for their total college education, regardless of however it goes. Like I want to be in a place to where I can cover that for them so that when they graduate from college, they'll be good. Because like, I remember instances in which, you know, I had to really plan out my summer and spring because I didn't have the opportunity to go to my mother's house because my mother, you know, it just wasn't an option, right? Like I was on my own. The day I left for college, I was on my own, right? And so like every year, it was something different in terms of like me either having to get my own apartment, me having to, you know, but I never fell into one of those circumstances to where I needed to depend on a woman in order to provide me with, with shelter. Like it was always my thing. Like, yo, I, I always need to have a crib. Bro. I always need to have a crib because I know how it felt to not be able to, to have one or not to be, not to be able to like go home for the summer to your mother, like all those other things. And whatnot. That shit hits different. You know what? And sincerely, we got to applaud that. Like, I, I mean, sincerely, like I, I actually looked up to people who actually made it happen still, like did the college thing, even if they had to struggle to get through it and make it happen. And who can tell a story like you just told, right? Like, like that's the overcoming story. You don't have to have a ton, but you still can make it through. I didn't make it through right away. You know, it took a long time uh, for me to make it happen. So, what, so when you tell a story like that, I just want to say people should stop and say, that's what we want to hear. Right. Those are those are the type of things we want to hear. Right. 
Go ahead, Ray. I didn't want to. Were you finished, or I didn't want to? Nah, I, I, I'm done. I mean, like you know, I, I give a lot of credit to to my fraternity. You know, the one that recruited Reef. Yeah. Don't They don't recruit. They don't recruit. <laughs> yeah. So you know, but but like you know, just just going through that whole process and whatnot. Yo, it taught me to to do a lot with very little. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so, you know, now I'm very humble about the things that I have, but like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, when people call me materialistic all the time, like, yo, but I'm like, yo, shit, you ain't come from where I came from. So I'm out here trying to get it. That's right. a good point. Go ahead, Reef. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, like ultimately, I, I think the context that, you know, that we're raised in and and I think, of course, that just informs a lot of how we, you know, the, the outlook and what we want and what we aspire. Um, and I think a lot of what we're talking about is like, you know, struggles that we, and I think each generation, right, struggles we went through, or we want our kids to be better educated, we want them to have more opportunities, um, and I think a lot of times there are other people outside of that circumstance who are trying to tell folks like, oh, you don't really need this. Oh, you don't really need that. Like, uh, I'll sit in and watch or hear stories. I'm not going to watch this, but I, I hear stories of like school counselors telling children, oh, you know what? We need more of X, Y, Z kind of, you know, uh, folks in those careers, but they're never pushing their own children into those careers. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're always having this different alternative. It's like almost a alternative universe for a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these folks who are educating our children, like they're not teaching, they're not approaching education for other people's children the way that they just expect it to, to happen for them, you know, for themselves. And I think, and it's not just, you know, I'm not just talking about white people, like, right. Like Cecil B. Moore, like this activism Philly used to say, like every time, like not every time, sometimes when I get uh, black people jobs, a black man a job. It's almost like I, I really got a white, uh, turned him into another white man. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about like just how sometimes Ooh. people get in positions. Who said that? Cecil B. Moore. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get the exact quote before we um, finish. But it's basically, like, you know, I get them, then people get in this privileged situation and just like, nah, what, I don't care about everybody else. And I just start pr- using the same tactics, right? We, we learn best from our oppressors. And unfortunately, instead of learning how to help the next generation avoid those traps, sometimes we, it starts manifesting uh, the lessons we learn in our own actions towards our people. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I think about the education that I received, I found it to be, you know, and I didn't necessarily know it as a kid, but looking back, it was a liberatory experience. It, it was the, uh, you know, this experience of, but it was also like tied to the community because they say, hey, you're responsible for your community. And so you're going to push forward so that you can help more. You're going to lift as you climb, because even as you're going through a struggle, you're going to uh, reach back and, and help the next generation. You know, and it was this constant thing like you are you're going to lead and serve in your communities. Mm-hmm. And that was the type of education that they you know, sort to provide that we would be able to do that, carry that out. And I think that's never, that's never left me. I, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. That is never. Are you almost 50? I don't know how old you are, but yeah. uh, I don't no, no, no clue how old Sharif is. I just know you're old, but I think that, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think that the most emancipatory education that I got in a similar vein is like, I think being homeless is the best 
thing that ever happened to me. And I, I think that because like I learned how the world works. The world don't give a fuck about your story. It don't care where you come from. Like if you don't have enough to pay for X, Y, and Z, ma'am and sir, uh, that I thank you very much for your kind story, but you cannot stay here. You know what I'm saying? And the world sounds abstract. We should just say people, people I mean, don't people. Care. Yeah. And I, and I think that, the, and I think, but for me, right. Like, like I don't live in this world of how the world should be. Right. And I love people that do. I love people that talk about how the world should be. Right. I grew up in the world as is though. Right. Like I grew up like having to hold everything that I owned as I lived in the shelter. Cause dope things will steal your stuff. Right. So I think for me, when, if we're talking about emancipatory education and I'm talking to schools, teachers, whomever, there are very strict things that we can actually direct things. We can teach kids that we don't. We don't teach them about finances. We don't teach them how tax, how, how taxes work. We don't teach them how to invest money. Like we don't, we don't. Some of like, us don't know how to do that. So how, you know but, what I mean? But, that, but that's the thing though, right? But if we haven't, we go to, me, all four of us go to a bunch of conferences where we're talking about curriculum and we're talking about how to change the game and who should run schools and charter this, traditional that, private this you know what I mean we talk about all these articles but like very simple curriculums that could actually pop off and happen to make sure these kids know how to like grow into fiscally responsible morally responsible adults like it's not hard it's not actually rocket science and I have to ask the questions why has that not been mandated yet like why why do we not force people to learn how to like actually function in this society. And I think that there's enough social justice warriors online and on Twitter and all that stuff. They got a whole bunch of deep shit for you, but I want my kids to know how to take care of themselves wherever they are in this country or around the world. And we're not preparing kids for a gentrified Oakland. It's just not happening. We just are not like, they're not going to be able to live here. I make a decent salary. I cannot buy a house in the city that I grew up in. And that's sad, but it's the facts. But if we talk about emancipatory education, we should be building education that frees our kids to make the decisions that they need to make as adults that actually benefit them and their communities. You know, in my, in my life, I've been blessed. So I look around right now. The fact that I'm able to, to spoil my children is because some things happened in my life between living in the fiesta and now some things happen. It wasn't school. Right. So you've talked about this child before, like there's a lot of places to get an education. Right. And, and, and there's two things that worked in my favor. Number one was being able to smell opportunity within a mile. That, that was always in my blood. Mm-hmm. And number two was a good number of people outside of school who opened doors for me and taught me the way that things work, the way job interviews work, the way jobs work, the way upward mobility when you don't have a college education, for instance, works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I worked in a Jewish agency, right? Um, Everybody in that agency became somebody that opened the door for me to something critical. I learned from that how networks work. Like, oh, you need to know people, like lots of people. And as I started learning that, you know, um, everybody, it seemed like every year I met people who were a ticket to the next opportunity. And that just snowballed over periods of time. So what you have talked about, about churches Mm -hmm. and and other places like out of school time for kids. When we talk about education being emancipatory, the thing that emancipated me from my ignorance and emancipated me from my low status and inability to get a job was people and lessons and opportunity outside of schools. Right. Right. So what are we doing with our children, our 8 million black children with this out of school time? 
How is their out of school time spent? Because first of all, I get a little nervous about making people learn anything. Right, right, right. And especially through right. government schools, right? Like if a government school is your salvation and it's the same government who has been beating you <laughs> for years, I feel like that that's going that, that that's that's a lesser plan. But I do want to think about what it means for us to take over out of school education and reclaim our children and what it looks like for the people who have the children to be the first and, and main teachers, right? And I know where this conversation is gonna go, you know, they got full jobs or they can't handle it, or, you know, there's a reason to in, infantilize them or, you know, something like that. I actually do think that they're the saving grace of the 8 million, right? I want better so, schools, I want better teachers, I want better curriculum, of course, don't get it twisted. And at the same time, I don't think that that's the salvation. So I, I think that, like, I think, you know, it's interesting that you make that point about, about what you're doing with your kids over the summer. I think that summer summer enrichment months are, like, extremely important, you know, because I remember growing up, you know, it was running outside to play from, like, dawn to dusk or whatever, right? And then coming back, you know, beating the, beating the streetlights, you know, and coming back and whatnot. And that was all right with people that raised me, but uh, that's not okay with me. I feel like the summer months, should, you should be exposing your kids to things that they're not exposed to during the year. You should be traveling, you should be taking trips and whatnot, and then taking inventory of those trips and, you know, letting those kids reflect on those experiences and stuff. Because at the end of the day, when they are, when you're exposing them to those kind of things, and then they're sitting down and they're taking standardized tests, it helps. I mean, but I do want to say, though, and before we let Sharif in, I think I think your point is dope, Ray. I think also, you know, when we say stuff like we can flippantly we, we are blessed. The four of us are blessed in a way where we can flippantly say in the summer, take your kids on trips or whatever the case yeah. is. Right. But that's not the case for a lot of people. Right. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the case for me. I, I, but I, I get that. Right. I just I just I just know how people latch on to what we say and kind of hold on to it. Right. But I think to Ray's point, like if your kid got a phone. Like if your kid got YouTube, right? Like, I mean, it's nothing really for the A Black Hands to curate a playlist of different videos for your kids to like watch that's talking about these mm, different things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because they're going to be on there anyway. You know what I'm saying? So before they give you two hours on YouTube, make sure they watch this 20 minutes, you know, of this playlist or whatever, right? I just think that there are ways, much to your point, uh, uh, Ray, which I fully agree with, is like the more we expose our kids to stuff, like the richer their perspective becomes. Like, again, like when I go visit my family in Chicago, bro, like a lot of them live in Maywood. Maywood is only 20 minutes away from like downtown Chicago. It's not mm -hmm. far, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. there are so many kids in Maywood that have never seen downtown Chicago. They've never been out of all black in Italian Maywood, right? Like they've never seen like how beautiful it is downtown. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. So think about all the cities in this country where poor people are isolated from actually enjoying and seeing, you know what I'm saying? Because they don't have that kind of access, man. And I live in a city. Yeah, but that's that's kind of, but, but Charles, that's, isn't that self-isolation, bro? Because if they, I, I wouldn't you know, say that. I wouldn't say, I mean, you go where you feel, but where you feel, where you feel welcome. You go where you feel belonging, right? Like if but, I- But listen, not all poor people. So I don't want to say and all. I don't say, people, and I don't say all. And I just right. say all. I just, I just want to be. I just want to be real clear because, like, I hate talking about poor people. Like, as a monolith, there are some poor people who don't take all the opportunities to do things in life that they can do. And I just want to be real clear about that because in Chicago, you got world class libraries. I'm jealous of the libraries right. in right, there. Right, right. And be an observant person. Go in one and watch who's making use of that. Who is not? We almost need a national campaign for people to to stop thinking about school so much. Just everybody get your child a, a damn library card, right? Our libraries are a world American, of a difference. Our, our American libraries are better than our schools. 
right? Yeah, like yes. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. Free and open libraries is the one thing I can say our government. Has I, I got think right. the internet so, is even yeah, better. But I, I would to be honest with you. But go yeah, ahead, right, Reef. I, I mean, I, I would just push on that because you know it's you know the thing about libraries. There's when we're talking about like government institutions, they, they're not always welcoming to poor people. Like I, I'm if I'm if I'm already living this existence where I'm, I'm constantly being you know. You know, my humanity is being challenged and, and, you know, and I have to defend myself in that kind of way and make it safe for my child culturally, intellectually, emotionally. All these libraries aren't built the same. Just like every school is not built the same. Like, so all of them, you know, I think sometimes it's a challenge. Like, you know, I, I've heard stories of people and this was from back in the day, even and they still continue today where you are made to feel unwelcome in certain places that you don't belong, that it's not yours. I think the flip is we have to keep, you know, pushing our, our folks to know like that is yours. That is yours. It belongs to you. You, you don't have to, um, you know, you know, be deferential. That is your space as well. And I, I don't think it's a, our, 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 we had an event um, not too far ago in Philadelphia, um, downtown. This is a place I had never even heard of, right? And some of our youth from Shoemaker were there. And I was like, you know what? This is public space. I've never even heard about it. But, you know, the young millennials who they're trying to attract to Philadelphia knew about it. They were up there. It's like a rooftop open space, mm-hmm. public space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, I've never been there. And the kids, I was just like, and make sure you share this with your peers. That this is available to you too. It's not just you know because they're like, oh, this is this is open. Everybody's like, yeah, but you'll never know it. I mean, it you sounds know, like in that know? though. I just want to say the lesson in what you just said to me is not that people or places make you feel unwelcome. It's that you won't go to a resource that is available to you because people don't make you feel welcome, right? Like, like that to me is the real lesson. The real lesson is to tell two thousand, you know, nineteen new millennium black people that. Being black is being in a constant state of not feeling welcome, but that shouldn't stop you from taking opportunities for yeah. free stuff, like free education, free um, access to information, free tools, free but things that our ancestors didn't have. Yeah, I mean, I come on. The library across the street from Shoemaker has been closed for 10 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so, I mean, like we, we have to also acknowledge this. So like the, the, if I, if I'm a kid and I go to one part of the city, it looks vastly different than, a, mm-hmm. than another part. Mm-hmm. That's in right. every metropolitan city. It's crazy. And it's like, none of these issues gets addressed until it gets gentrified. Right. Right. And, that, and that's that, a good point. Cause that's when that happened, that happened. Oakland, right? Like all this stuff was shut down until white people decided. That and they tell you, we can't afford, uh, we can't afford to, can't to afford it. We can't library, the, Oakland, the, center. the Oakland, the Fox theater in Oakland was like thrown out for like, it was, it was, it was shut down for like super long. You, Chris, you might've been gone by the, you might've mm-hmm. still been here mm-hmm. by the time that thing closed and then opened up right when all these white folks decided to move downtown and downtown Oakland looks amazingly beautiful right now. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't like that. I don't like the library now. Like I, I, I have a bunch of education. <laughs> like I don't like going there now. Like I can just go on I the know internet. and it shows bro. But I, I, go <laughs> I, go, but I can go on the internet. What does the library have? What does the library have that the internet doesn't right what oh, what can tons, i tons no to name one thing tons. that the library has and i can't get off the internet tons like name, bro so so there's, there's there's access so so charles so anyway so in order to get the articles that you that you use in order to research mm-hmm. you have to have access to your university you can't get them based off of like online that's the university unless you pay unless you pay for them there's two ways to do it one that's the university library that's not a traditional library yeah. that's one and then two right. you can find savvy ways to do searches and find pdf somewhere else 
So I've been able to kind of. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's places you can't, there's things you can't get into without a library card, though. Or, or there, there, there are resources in libraries, especially great libraries, but, but that, Chris, you, I, that you have access to yeah. that you don't have to pay for. But like, I, Chris, really, I don't, I don't, so. I'm not disagreeing with your point. I'm actually saying like library is one resource, but the internet is another one. I think to the point that we were saying like. Yeah, and these millennials. This isn't a monolith of poor people, right? Like, I'm just talking about my experience of me growing up as a poor person, you know what I'm saying? But, like, but now that I got the internet, it's opened up so many things. Like, like I'm probably that first generation that grew up without enough internet and then had it to, like, actually appreciate it in a different type of way, right? Like, I know Mm -hmm. how to use it fully. Mm -hmm. And But but if we're talking about emancipatory education, even if you are poor and you got an internet connection on that phone that you got, even if it's the cheapest smartphone in the world, right? Like, there is stuff at your access. (laughs) There's stuff at your access. There's stuff at your fingertips, right? You got more information at your fingertips than Socrates had, than Martin Luther King had, than than, than Malcolm X had, you know what I'm saying? And I think that like- So you went from Socrates to, to Martin Luther King? You just like, trying I, to find I, something to argue with. You just, you, did you just count on your watch that I haven't interjected in a while and wanted to- <laughs> <laughs> he's got an alarm. I want to get back alarm. to the out of school time because I think that's important. Like when we look at it, you know, most schools are, you know, they spend less than 200 days per year in, you know, in schools. And so I think there's a lot of time you know, outside of that. And I, I look, I, and I'm, I'm all for li- I, I love libraries. I grew up in libraries, whether at school, we were going to the Germantown branch at home, we were going to the Winfield branch. I mean, so much so that my, our librarian came to my sister's wedding. Like she was like that, wow. you know, wow. close, like it was that yeah. kind of relationship. Um, but I, I just think that out of school time is, is so important. I, I think about this because, you know, my son, some of y'all know, like my son started a uh, apiary, right. And so this beehives and, and he, he was just doing it because he loved it. His sister was like, hey, like, you're, I want to sell, some, you know, a couple of jars of honey. And so I was just like, hey, you know what? Like, that's just even the entrepreneurial. So when we talk about, like, what we want our students to have and, like, what's emancipatory, like, I think having that entrepreneurial spirit where you are going to, if the opportunity isn't there, you're going to find ways. If people don't, don't bring it to you directly, you're going to find a way to make something happen. Like, we used to call that hustling. But this, you know, it's a that's an education. It's a it's a way to look at the world. Your paradigm is is different. Where you're like, oh, I don't have to. I think some of the folks you were talking to, uh, uh, Stuart, earlier, um, you know, I think that, that a part of it is that. But I think so much of the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, skills and lessons get tapped into the privileged the folks who already have, you know, tons of access and things like that. We have to make sure that our our youth are. Um, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit is being honed and, 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 and nurtured and, and supported in a, in a really powerful way. Mm. And uh, Sharif, uh, I know we're, we, we were going for, for a minute now. So do you want to wrap in your, uh, your final thoughts, brother? And then Ray. Uh, hottest MC or whatever it is. Self-proclaimed. You get to take us home. I'll go after you, uh, Sharif, and then Chris, and then Ray can take us out. Are you okay with that, Sir Raymond? I'm just curious. Yo, I got the hottest 16 on the pod, baby. Yeah, that's, It better that's, be good. It, it better be good. That's all I'm going to say. Sharif, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, when I, when I think about this, uh, you know, this education piece. And, you know, I think about Franz Fanon, right, where he talks about, you know, every generation will either, you know, betray 
or realize their own potential. And so for me, education is supposed to support that, how they reach their potential, how they look at it, how they even see themselves. You know, for me, part of like one of the most revolutionary, emancipatory, liberating um, aspects of education today is make sure that, that our young black youth have a positive racial identity and they're highly literate. Like to, to me, those are the two things that are like can really be a catalyst, um, you know, for their, you know, not only their upward mobility, but I also think their support of the community for true liberation to um, to actually happen. So I, I think those those things and adding that entrepreneurial spirit, but that positive racial identity, high levels of literacy and then the entrepreneurial spirit, combining that in some kind of way. Um, and you don't, as, as you said, we don't have to rely just on school. We have to demand that schools deliver what's supposed to be delivered, but we should also find just fertile ground outside of, um, outside of schools. And if it's not an institution, then our people, you know, like connecting with our people who can do that, who've done that. And, and we got to just keep pressing. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Chris, you, I'll go before you, Chris. Uh, you know, one of my favorite, just education writers and just writers in general, his name, Akbar, he said something mm-hmm. uh, pretty similar. And he was basically breaking down the difference between training and education and know thyself. And if you haven't read this book, it's a quick book. It's an amazing book. You should definitely read it by Naeem Akbar. And what he said is that the dog that learns how to bark to scare away his enemies or predators to defend itself by biting attacker, uh, attackers and the hunt is an educated dog. Right. But once that dog learns how to stand on his hind legs and wear a dress and dance to the music, of his trainer, it's a trained dog. And a lot of these schooling situations, like we are training kids and we are training them on a curriculum that is not ethnocentric, that does not tell them who they are, that does not teach them how to survive in this world. It just teaches them to be subservient. An emancipatory education teaches them how to protect, provide for their own and for their family and for themselves, right? And so if your kid, when they leave your house or your school or your care, you have not, if you have not taught them how to fish as opposed to you just tossing them fish the whole time, you have not engaged in emancipatory education. You've tra- you've engaged in training. So hopefully we can kind of keep this conversation going. But Chris, I'll throw it to you. Up front, I have to um, kind of admit that in some ways I'm throwing a lot of fish to my kids, right? Like in an effort to give them advantage, I'm doing that. Um, um, but anyways, let me, let me say just a couple of things. Frederick Douglass, um, was the one who said that, what would he say about the, um, education? No, he said, so he's, he's quoting someone else saying, if you teach that nigga to read, he'll be unfit to be a slave. Mm-hmm. Right? right. He didn't say if you keep that, that, that nigga out of a good school, he'll be unfit. He said, read, right. right. Decode the world. That that's a very that's agency, right? Like the ability to read opens the door for you to read more and for you to start decoding what you're reading and then to start knowing what the master is doing to you and knowing what your oppression, the nature of your oppression is. So uh, so I think massive education has to be along those lines that, you know, the further you get in your ability to decode and to understand and to race it earlier, think critically, you are freeing yourself slowly but surely in that way. And no one is giving that to you. Um, one of my favorites is Ivan Illich. Ivan Illich has a book called Deschooling. Um, um, I'll give you one quote from it. School has become the world religion of a modernized proletariat and makes futile promises of salvation to the poor of the 
technological age, right? And then throughout most of the book, he's talking about the difference between what you said earlier, Charles, the difference between school and education. And an education is something that all our grandmothers told us, once you have it, no one could take away from you, right? Um, that to me is what education is. It's not schooling necessary. It's the thing that you can learn, the things that you can learn that no one can take away from you. I actually believe it's time to stop stop making excuses for people that don't seek out knowledge mm. and don't seek out all that's available to them. I'm going to make an observation. I go to libraries. I love libraries. I see a kind of consistent pattern. I see new Americans in the libraries all the time, just getting as much opportunity as they can get, you know, libraries almost live there. I see other people using the hell out of it. I see one group missing. Right. And when I bring this up, I'm going to hear a lot of, lot of, I think, excuses for why that is. But I think at this advanced day and age, there are no more excuses for you not to do all that you can do to free yourself with the understanding that schools ain't going to do it for you. Principals aren't going to do it for you. The conferences we go to on education ain't going to do it, do it for you. Nothing coming down the pipe. No book that's going to be written by Pentecostal evangelists or curriculum advancement. None of that is about to free anybody, right? Nobody is going to be free. Free your mind and your ass will follow. That's so you're basically saying like you're on your own. And I'm glad you brought up Frederick Douglass because that's a, I think it's like education makes a man unfit to be a, a slave. And I think today it's the same thing, but education makes a man or woman unfit to be enslaved. Mm. Right. And so I think that's that, that same concept. You know, look, if you come to 52nd and Chestnut is full of black folks. Right. So I think, you know, you, you, well, you got to change the libraries that you go into, bruh. So, <laughs> Wait a second. A little earlier, you were like, well, you know, not everybody can get to the library. Some no, people I, only got I'm one just, leg. I'm and just some saying, people be I, hopping down the street. All I'm saying is when I go to when I go to the, the rich suburb, they got a library every couple of blocks and it's gleaming. And you, you know, folks feel welcome there. And then the ones in, in certain neighborhoods, they're closing them down. Right. Nah, I feel you. But the one at 52nd of Chestnut, that joint is always. I, and I like bookstores. I like the internet. I just didn't really love libraries. Okay, now wait a second, fellas. We got to stop because <laughs> the dopest. Because the Supreme Negro is about to Uh-oh. come on. Here we go. Here we go. Yo, Nikki, you know what I'm Make saying? Make it happen, Yo, Ice Cube. Yo, whoever wait. he wants to be, son, go ahead and take us home, yes. MC Ray. Yes. Take us home, bro. So, so cool, yeah, funky, right. fresh, ice delight. Make it happen, bro. Trash, we gonna boo you. We gonna right. boo you if you trash. The Sandman is coming for you for the first time right. in a black oh, yeah. history. Don't choke. Ahead, Don't, choke bro. Don't choke, bro. Don't choke. Hey, I'm the strongest closing in the game. No choking here. Anyways, yo, I wanna first give props to you guys, right? Because like every episode or every couple episodes, you guys share your lived experiences, and they are so powerful in terms of my learning. So sometimes this is my professional development. So I'm I'm grateful for you guys for sharing your opportunities and whatnot, and then opening opening those. Appreciate that. Opening those windows for me to get out here and try to get it and motivate me. Secondly, uh, shout out to Baltimore City in the Enoch Pratt Library System. Uh, That's the library system that my son was first exposed to. He got his first library card there, and he's been getting it in terms of. Scoring level fours on ELA ever since. So thank you for that that system. Um, and then lastly, shout out to our super fans. Like we, I know you guys may have your list of super fans, but like for me, uh, Matt, Darren, 
Tyrone and my uncle Jeff, man. My uncle Jeff hit me up and he was like, man, I have listened to every episode and not only has do, do I see you in a different light in terms of the things that you say to me, it's you know, clearer for me now. It's a, it's a clearer picture for me now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, man. I'm the best nephew ever, an uh, 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 uncle could ever have. But yo, again, thank you guys for the opportunity for uh, for us to be expressive and to get our messages out there. I appreciate y'all. You know, shout out to black men be able to have a conversation. That's what's up. Shout out to educated black men not forgetting that what it means to not have an education, right? Right. Um, seriously, and that's what I hear about this podcast. So, thanks for closing us out, Charles. Uh, what, what for, fellas, before we go, what do we want to rate the closing? How how are we gonna rate the closing? Is, I mean, is it is it Nas? Come at him. He he, he, Amber, what is he it? didn't really, he didn't make his point though. I mean, I appreciate it, it was a nice closing, right? It was, but it he was, didn't he didn't was. he didn't touch the topic. Like it was like common. It was like common. It wasn't Nas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just was like. Well, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't want to disrespect Common either, but I just feel like like that's true. That's true. He's from Chicago. You from Chicago? Just, you might you die know, if you do this, it. So. Do you have something on the topic, brother? Yeah. Right? You can have it. You like? Did you want to say something about anything we was talking about? I'm just curious. Like, <laughs> I think he did. He 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 talked about the library. Like, I think he he thought it was important. Okay, that's, that's cool. True. That's, that's true. Cool. Yeah. That's true. Oh, and fellas, I forgot to I forgot to say I have a book that's out. Uh, Beyond yes, resilience. Uh, go capture that. And it's actually in a nutshell everything that we just talked about today. Uh, it is about uh, three young black men who grew up highly impacted by the crack epidemic that grew up in really like just shitty circumstances that navigated. But it also doesn't just give their navigation strategies to why, how they became doctors, but it also talks about the residual impacts that we need to look out for um, because mental health is, is really important for black, for black boys and black kids in general. But, um, but I appreciate you fellas, man. And uh, what, how much is the book, bro? The Look, book is twenty. And be careful. Don't use the link that uh that Cole sent because Cole right. sent me a link and I just hit it and and got it and find out I, I bought some daggone Kindle version. I don't want no Kindle yeah. version. I, I mean, so so the Kindle the Kindle so the so the. The Kindle was not a Kindle version. Like, I don't I don't rather, because it's 2019. But the Kindle version is 9.99. I like the to annotate. The paper, the paperback is 29 is is 19.99. If you buy the paperback, the Kindle becomes two dollars. So you're good. You could, you should just still you could you should buy both though because you got it and you should support me. You should buy like five. Okay, so so, 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 so here's here's the bottom line: if you listen to the Eight Black Hands podcast and you have made it to this part all the way to the end <laughs> and you send me an email at chris at citizenstewart.com I will buy the first ten people a copy of Dr. Cole's that is book. what's up, man. That is, I right. appreciate you. So, so, so I support so, my so, people who write. So, so, wait, again, so, so, wait, hold so, on, wait, hold wait. on again. Chris at citizenstewart.com. First, uh, how many did I say? 10. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 people. Okay, first 10 people, I will buy you a copy of this That's brother's book. So wait, 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 wait. Go ahead, Ray. So, Are so, you buying so, some books too, Ray? If you ain't buying no books, then you got to be quiet. So, Baba, you said you wanted a hard copy. I you just emailed him. I just emailed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, no. let me revise no. my offer. <laughs> if you are not on the podcast, <laughs> but you are a listener of the podcast. Yo, hit him up. Yo, hit him up. But I do want to give context, and I think y'all would be proud of me of this. So, basically, the, the, the academy, right, that didn't like me there in the first place, that I owe over 100 grand to, decided to sell 
my dissertation to family and friends for anywhere between $16 and $60, right? Pay attention because they're going to get your people too. And I said, check this out. They didn't proofread nothing. They didn't correct nothing. They didn't help me with nothing. And they taking money out my money, out, out my, out my account without me knowing, like, I'm going to take that thing down and I'll sell it myself, but the Academy don't love us. So that's a part of agency people. That is agency. And, uh, but there's been a lot of folks that have responded to the book. Well, but at any rate, I appreciate y'all. We'll have some, um, at the, uh, we'll have some live. We also have merch up now. So if you go to our, our Twitter feed, you'll be able to That's see for merchandise. Cause I, it took me a while Mer- to realize merchandise. that for, for merchandise. Wow. You are. No, so I was just like, what oh. is merch? It, you, you didn't know what merch was brother. No, I did. You were right. Every show time. you get older, bro. You get older every show. Yo, like, <laughs> that's when you like, you're like, what's a Kindle? I heard a Kindle. I just don't want to use, I don't want to read my book. No Kindle copy. You are Methuselah's older brother. But anyway, like just yo, this is this is why some of our kids can't spell now. Y'all just be making up stuff. Everything oh ain't gotta God. be changed. Sharif, let me say this. Let me say this, Sharif. You say John all the time, right? Right. Right. I've pretended. No, no, but wait, but wait. I pretended like I knew what it meant all along. I just been like, oh yeah, that John. I didn't know if it was like a like a shrimp or a prawn. I was like, that's the brother always talking about seafood. You know that you know that 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 prawn. Anyway. But then I went to something. Actually, it was it was like five or six days ago. Somebody else was there from Philly and said it. Yeah, and and it's a, and it's a because thing. he saw the puzzled look on everybody in the room, he explained what it is. Anything, uh, and, and I was everything. like, no, I don't have to uh, pretend with context. Anymore, but you, know, know what you that were is. right. You were right. Everything you thought it was, you were absolutely right. Yeah, they, they, the they context is important. They, they explained it. Well. It's a shrimp. <laughs> they explain it well in Creed. It can be a shrimp. You can say those Johns are big. I like those jumbo Johns. So, so it could be anything. It could. It's a noun, brother. Uh, the, 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 a the, person, the, place, or thing. The sister breaks it down in, in Creed. You should go watch it. Um, in the context document. is everything, yo. But uh, but got it. Great show, brothers. That, Great though, show, man. brothers. Thank you all. And you can catch us in D.C. on September 11th um, at the at the uh, Congressional Black Caucus. We are looking forward to that. And we got a new date for Las Vegas, which will be up. And if you want to bring the eight black hands to your city, then hit us up on our Twitter at eight black hands. One, let us know and we will make it happen. Everybody sign out. We love you all. And y'all have a great, great holiday. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, Elmecki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.